All media is basically propaganda. Even Five Pillars is propaganda. And who knows? Maybe we're 50 years behind China, where they're literally putting people in re-education camps. Mm. Now, that might be considered alarmist. I personally believe that we are on that trajectory, unless something happens. Because we have two things happening. We have the West declining, and we have Islam reviving. So that looks like a clash. So even if you're a peace, like you and me, we're peaceful Muslim activists. All we all we seek to do is persuade people through the power of argument and the power of example. That will soon not be tolerated. Assalamu alaikum and we're back with another episode of these Islam Tunisi unscripted podcast where we discuss uh, you know anything that comes to mind with uh, interesting people and today we have mashallah a very interesting person indeed we have uh, Roshan uh, Saleh from Five Pillars Assalamu alaikum Roshan Wa salam Saman nice to be here uh, so we want to get you know get the audience to get to know you a bit more so your 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 main kind of title is you know fan, founding editor of yeah. Five Pillars News the first kind of dedicated uh, you know, news uh, website uh, for British Muslims, but uh, yeah, just before you, before we crack on into that, how how have you been? How how did you get here? Everything okay? I got here. I got here in a, a car. Bit of a nightmare. Uh, it was a bit of a nightmare getting here from uh, M25. I came yeah. from kind of North London, <coughs> but yeah, it's absolutely fine. I've been fine, a bit quiet over the summer period and mm. just relaxing a bit, uh, taking some time off work, not doing too much work. And news wise, it's always a yeah. bit quiet in August. Just been, um, you know. Uh, it's been wall to wall. The death of the queen yeah. over the last week. So You're mentioning you were wearing we're black in honor of the yeah. queen. No, 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 it's been. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it's been royal propaganda nonstop yeah. for one week. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. a fan of the royals. I, I don't believe in the monarchy, and it is doing my head in. But I've not come here to talk about that and make myself unpopular. <laughs> well, we might, we might, might. But you know, one yeah. thing about yeah. Muslims is I found that actually the older Muslims, maybe the ones that you know, um, got the green card all those years ago. <laughs> Uh, you know, and uh, they feel quite, they still feel a bit grateful that Britain allowed them in, don't they? So they've got mm. this nostalgia for the Queen. And I think a lot of converts are, you know, quite pro Queen and pro monarchy because, mm. as you say, you can, you can't, you can't, you can take the boy girl out the village, but you can't take the village out the boy or girl. Um, I think it's more just someone's own kind of personality in politics anyway. I mean, yeah, even, but I, what I was going to yeah. just finish up, I was going to say that younger Muslims, mm. I think British brawn and bed Muslims, uh, they tend to be anti-monarchy. That's the oh, the sentiment mm. that I get. Mm. And I'm certainly, I just don't get it. And yeah. I'm just going <laughs> to go to sleep until Incidentally, Monday. Incidentally, today is the International Day of Democracy or something. So Is it? <laughs> yeah, apparently. Oh, don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you're kind of anti-monarchy, anti-democracy, <laughs> what are you? you know? <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. pro pro Islamic uh, <laughs> guy, I guess. Mashallah. So uh, we got we got this thing where we do kind of rapid fire questions, oh, just I'm to kind of probe into I'm your this, subconscious. Yeah, uh, so, and if you say anything illegal, we'll just uh, edit it out. Okay. Uh, tea or coffee? Both. I like both equally. Uh, coffee in the mornings, tea towards mm-hmm. a tea after um, yeah after fish and chips. Quite a diplomatic <laughs> answer, mashallah. You've done this before. <laughs> Coke or Pepsi? I like diet Pepsi because I'm too fat. Pepsi Max? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's got nothing good in it, but yeah. I do drink it too much. It makes your problems go away. Uh, I just, <laughs> just, taste, then, just so. taste good. Just taste good. Yeah. yeah. Favorite food? What's your favorite food? Uh, I like um, Desi food. Yeah, I like, uh, you know, kind of subcontinental food. I mean, mm-hmm. originally from Sri Lanka, so I like it hot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any uh, I, pr- I like Chinese as well, but there's obviously a lot of pork in it. So Chinese without pork. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling the brothers that you're half Sri Lankan, half Welsh, is it? Yeah. I yeah. heard uh, on you did a podcast with Dilly. And uh, yeah, they, they Unusual are. Unusual combination, yeah. yeah. I think there's yeah. only three of us in the world, uh, me and my two <laughs> brothers. Yeah. The next question is China or Sri Lanka? Uh, no. China. <laughs> Welsh or, Wales or Sri Lanka? Uh, I've got a soft spot for Sri Lanka. Uh, I mean, okay. I, was, I was very young when I came over here from Sri Lanka. I was, I think, about five. Mm. But we went back several times, spent a lot of time there. Uh, it's just an amazing, beautiful country. Mm. Physically, it's one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to, probably the most. Um, just the history, the culture, the beaches, mm. you know, the uh, the panoramic scenery, everything about it is wonderful. Clear water. But at the moment, Muslims are being discriminated against in Sri Lanka in a big way. So there's huge ethnic problems, which mm. didn't really exist when I was growing up there. Uh, but yeah, w- North Wales was a, a beautiful place to grow up in. I'm glad I, I you know, it's very peaceful. You're near Snowdonia, fresh mm. air, mountains, you know, sea. On a, on a, a sunny day, uh, it's a beautiful place, but it rains too much. Yeah, I went to North Wales with our family a few weeks oh, ago. Oh, did you? Yeah, I went to Real. What part? Oh, Real. Real's the Real worst Ryle. part. Really? <laughs> Real's like literally the Blackpool <laughs> of of North Wales. Yeah. So you literally went to the worst part. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty nice. Uh, but uh, we went to Lundundno or something. Clandidno, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Welsh, so. they pronounce it Clandidno. That's quite oh, a nice okay. place, yeah. So like there was, it was like in, in the, like a little... Uh, a bit extending out into the sea like a mountain, so the sea. It's called like the Great Yeah, it's a very famous yeah. place. Yeah, yeah, nice yeah. Place. Uh, I recommend Clandidno to everybody. Conway, Clandidno, lots of places in North Wales mm. to keep you uh, amused. Biryani or naan? Biryani or naan? Again, I, I like I like both of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All the unhealthy food I like basically. Cake or gulab jamun? Gulab jamun is way too sweet. I can't eat too yeah. much of that, so I'd go for cake. Yeah. Football or cricket? I already know this. Football, one. obviously, cricket yeah. is not really a sport. Which one do you hate? Yeah. More? Uh, sorry. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> football, uh, I love. I, yeah. I love football. I watch far too much of it. Think about it far too much. It's it's really my my yeah. my vice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, street Fighter or Mortal Kombat? I'm not a gamer uh, at all. And it's not, it's not really about games. Though. It's like a it's like you know a culture. Is it? I wouldn't know. That's one. That's one aspect of the youth that I do not understand because all my kids are obviously into it. All young people are into it. I was Mm. shocked because I I spent quite a lot of time with extended family and relatives, and a lot of them are younger. Mm. um, Over the summer, and they are all brilliant at like FIFA and all these different games. And I personally think that it's destroying them. And you know, soon they won't even want to go out of their bedrooms because everything will be in their bedrooms. So I think gaming is a a huge vice and Muslims, like everyone else, are addicted to it. I read a statistic that there are now more people that play FIFA than play football. Well, yeah, that's why all people my age, you know, and uh, people over, I think, 35, we're all quite good at football because we all got the skills. That's all we had to do when we were young. So we're kicking a ball against the wall, going in the park, and we're all really good at football. And I'm good at football as well. But like younger generations, they don't know how to play the game because all they're doing is this all the time. We're sounding like a bit of a a pair of old folks. Good old days, in the good old (laughs) days. Before they let the foreigners in. (laughs) England or Wales? Wales, absolutely. I, I, I support Wales at football, at rugby, everything. 
Um, I want England to lose every single time. My ultimate nightmare <laughs> is that England win the World Cup this year. <laughs> then I will emigrate. Mashallah. You're a proper... There, there you have it, England uh, fans. I associate <laughs> England with all the sins of British imperialism. Yeah. That's what I associate the England football team with. Wow. Nice, nice patriot there. <laughs> France or America? Um, France, I dislike Which intensely. Do you hate more? I live there. I speak the language fluently. Uh, really? I, I lived there for several years. And uh, when I was a lot younger and stupider, it's one of the most Islamophobic countries in the world, one of the most racist countries in the world. Um, I do not like France at all. I've never been to America, no desire to go. I'm sure if I went there, they would stop me and deport me. Hmm. Given the places that I've been. We went to France for a podcast. Uh, I, oh, which I, I remember that. I, I dis- that discoursed a bit in, uh, in the old French language as well. Oh, okay. uh, if many viewers might remember that. But, uh, <laughs> from my GCSE French days. All right, right. Final question. Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak? His questions are a bit out of date. Well, I think uh, Liz Truss has obviously got air between her ears. I mean, she's really kind of, she's, it's the fag end of the conservative era, isn't it? So we're getting the dregs now. I mean, I mm. thought Theresa May was the dregs and Boris Johnson was, but Liz Truss is Surprise. really the dregs. She's got two years in power before she loses. Uh, Sunak, um, I mean, I'm concerned about his Modi connections and his, you know, Hindutva connections, uh, mm. but he, he has got brains. I think he would have made a better prime minister because he's a serious person. I don't like any Tory, by the way, but you're asking me to choose between, you know, yeah. big Shaitan and little Shaitan, so <laughs> I'm just doing it. Yeah. Uh, this is probably the <laughs> slowest uh, rapid fire ever, but mashallah, I had a lot of fun. I'm giving you full answer. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you yes and no mashallah, answer if you yeah. want. Okay, on. so uh, what got you into journalism? Uh, I fell into teaching uh, because I was a lazy student and I could think of nothing else to do and I got the grades and mm. the education to do it. I hated it, but I always enjoyed writing mm. and I never wanted to stay in one building and all my life. I never wanted to do a nine-to-five job, really. Uh, so I wanted to get out, meet people, travel, and I always enjoyed reading and writing, so I guess that was mm. it. Yeah. So you've written about your, your adventures as a journalist, haven't you? I wrote a book about five years ago. Some of it is out of date. Uh, I think I should do a, a postscript at some point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's called Confessions of a, of a Muslim Journalist. And um, mm. it's available on Amazon. And I've kind of moved on from it. But yeah, mm. it contains, I guess, my life story. And um, yeah, you know, but you get to a certain age and you think, I don't have much time left in this world. So I better mm. write down my memoirs. Yeah. So that's what I did. MashaAllah. <laughs> <laughs> So what, 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 tell us about the, the birth of uh, Five Pillars, you know. So we, from, from, an, uh, yes. from my perspective, um, I understand it started, you know, 2013 or 12, so mm. approaching a 10-year anniversary. Yeah. Um, and it started around the kind of Merabli Rigby and, you know, you, needed, you, know, mm. you found that there's a m- the Muslim voice needed. And you just started something, you know, up and it, and it grew from there. Yeah, well, basically, I always wanted to work in Muslim journalism because I, mm. I started out at Q News. That was my first ever job. Q News, people won't remember it now, but it was a British Muslim magazine. And that gave me the bug to uh, do Muslim mm. Islamic journalism, which wasn't being done by anybody else apart from Q News at the time. Mm. And um, that went bust. They couldn't pay me or anybody else. So I had to go into the mainstream for about six or seven years. Then I worked at Al Jazeera. Then I came back to work for Islam Channel and, mm. and Press TV and, and all these different organizations. But none of them really satisfied what I wanted to do, which was Islamic journalism. And I thought, no one is actually doing this. And, um, and the, the attempts, I don't, I don't want to kind of name other organizations and diss them, but, but the attempts at Islamic journalism which existed were poor quality. 
What is um, Islamic journalism? All right, I've so never heard that it is before. it is journalism, as in like we're literally going out and getting stories. So we're not copying and pasting, although obviously that goes on as well. Mm-hmm. It does in every organization, but we're literally going to where the the scene of the story is, and we're interviewing people. We're breaking news. Mm-hmm. So we're not just most um, um, Muslim websites that say they're doing news they're actually not doing news mm-hmm. what they're doing is they're copying and pasting from other sources and they're putting their own little twists on it or they're making these videos with oh, all these like islamic like you know kind of you know background music mm-hmm. and whatever and they're trying to kind of they're it, they're not breaking the story whereas i think five pillars we break stories we, we you like will discover news agency kind yeah of so you will discover information from five pillars that you would never have known had it not been for five mm. pillars, because we're literally going out there with our contacts and breaking stories. So that's what I would say is Islamic journalism. You weren't doing that with your previous like, press Yeah, TV but, it, but obviously we were covering other stories as well. So it, I was doing it to a certain extent to Al Jazeera and Press TV and Islam Channel. Mm. But we were also covering stories that I didn't particularly want to do, especially at Al Jazeera and Press TV, where we were kind of covering world news. Mm. So I might be covering a Muslim story one minute, but then I would be covering, I don't know, interest rates rising in the and things that I wasn't interested in, you know, or softer stories or light stories. Mm. So I wanted to focus tightly on Islamic journalism and that's why I started Five Pillars. So what is there by I've never heard the phrase I mean can I understand Muslim journalism or without uh, with regards to like the Muslim okay. affairs and stuff. Is there something particularly you're thinking Islamic ideologically that there's Yeah, so obviously we are we are doing the same thing as other journalistic organizations like The Guardian. And we're, we're mm-hmm. applying the same technique because Dilly, Dilly and I are both trained mm-hmm. journalists. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trained. That's our profession. Mm-hmm. But obviously they have a secular outlook, whereas we have an Islamic outlook. So everything is in, in the framework of Islam. So we cannot, doing the journalism we do, we cannot cross any red lines, Islamic red lines. And everything that we do ultimately is, you know, to worship Allah. This is what, this is our, mm-hmm. it's in a form of ibadah, basically, is what we're doing. Um, so, yeah, that's what, I would, that's what I would say is Islamic journalism. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I guess any other profession, then you can, you can, you can put the same label on that. Yeah, thing. Islamic. So Islamic um, um, math teacher. Yeah, well, Islamic. I don't know. <laughs> Islamic plumber. Well, obviously, there's less scope in that. Yeah. In, in, I mean, there are certain professions. If you're a builder, for example, I mean, I suppose you could design your building in an Islamic way, but generally there's, mm. there's less scope. For, for what I do, I think there's more scope to actually impart our values to so this mm. choice of stories that we do. So we're focused very tightly on Muslims in the UK and also the wider Ummah yeah. and stories that are of, choi- of, of interest to our readers. And let's face it, 99.9% of our readers are either British Muslims or Western Muslims or, or the wider Ummah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. One of the things I wanted to uh, talk to you about, and I was I was kind of putting a message around in our kind of groups and stuff, saying we're going to be chatting to uh, Roshan Five Pillars. You know, what should we talk about? And one of the things that came up was, um, what do you think about the the dominant news culture today? Yeah, and to what extent are Muslim journalists or mm. you know yourself? Uh, you know, what what to what extent are you resisting, or what extent are you going with the flow and agreeing with? I think the mainstream media is the biggest uh, disseminator of Islamophobia perhaps in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would put virtually all uh, mainstream media in that category. So obviously we have open Islamophobes like the Daily Mail and the Express and the Star and these papers that we know they're openly, they just don't like Muslims, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I would also say 
um, outlets which are more neutral or more left-wing even still are part of that Islamophobic agenda. Uh, so, and and in, the, in the choice of stories that they 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 make mm. in the people they interview like the guardian for example was always ma- interviewing majid nawaz as a representative of <laughs> of muslims in the uk you know whereas they would never interview me or you you know mm. so they're not they're not they're, they're deliberately and the bbc as well so they're deliberately ignoring grassroots muslims and isn't they're going that because, for fringes isn't that because in their newsrooms there's no there's no, or there were very few muslims maybe but i i don't buy this um that there are there there are two sides. Like to if you this. if 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 we if you you are Islam, um, five pillars were to, you know, get a, a story about or, or be, be asked to something happen in you know, Philippines or something. Yeah, you just reach out to whoever you might think might give you an insight to that. But among the Filipino community, they might think, why is he asking that person? He must have some agenda. Couldn't it be something similar here that because of the death of Muslims in mainstream media? Whoever there is a comes along, they'll just you know yeah. get a become like I don't a I don't buy that status. for a second. Um, it's a common argument put forward by most British Muslims, I think, mm. that all we need to do is get more practicing Muslims into these organisations to change them from within. Uh, I don't think that works at all. I think what tends to happen is those that get in. First of all, those that get in tend not to be practicing Muslims uh, because you know the BBC, for example, will will employ mm. people who share their values. So if you have a raving Islamist trying to get a job in the BBC, <laughs> they're not going to get through the front door. But also, what like I think happens personal, uh, personal experience. <laughs> no, I've never applied. It's not to the BBC. Uh, I've never applied to the BBC for a job, uh, but uh, and I wouldn't as well. And I think that often what happens to the practicing Muslims that do get through the door is they 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 get defeated by the system, um, and they they don't make a di- occasionally they'll make a difference. They'll do one or one or two mm. stories which will get a, a wide audience more than five pillars could get or Islam 20 could get. I admit that. But overall, they will be subsumed by the overall culture. This is what always happens. And we have the examples of people like Asad Beg, for example, who's at Channel 4 News. And I think he would admit now that, yeah. you know, even Channel 4 News, which is quite a left-wing organ, we, we view it as a left-wing, the best of them, you it's know. Counter, even he yeah. got his, his, I mean, he was forced, I think, to apologise <laughs> when, when he called Ahmadis... Um, you know, non-Muslims or something like that. You know, so uh, or he might correct me on that. But but yeah, basically, I do not believe you can change the system from within. But isn't that isn't that more of like an intergener multi-generational thing? Then so I always I don't know I always uh, think of you know I don't know, you said you don't like cricket, but remember Nasser Hussein? Yes, I do. So that I always say like you need a Nasser a few Nasser Husseins before you can get a Moeen Ali. How yeah. does that work? So because it's, I don't know, it's kind of uh, it, it's just a gradual process, really. You know, Moeen Ali, someone like that. I don't now, see the connection. He's there. he's you know he's uh, ost- you know quite identifiably Muslim, and he, yeah, yeah. he doesn't really um, Moeen Ali. You mean yeah, he's yeah. not like uh, the, the, what you might consider yeah. like a seller or whatever like that. Not yeah. to say that um, Nasser Hussein is, but <laughs> coming Moeen Ali in the, ni- <laughs> in the nineties. <laughs> You know, you could argue it wouldn't work. Oh, he opened the door for others to come in. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's a more of a, a oh, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just a cynical you know? old guy, but yeah. I just I, I've been around too long to kind of buy these arguments anymore about yeah. this slow change. I think the trajectory for British Muslims in this country is obviously we're becoming uh, more pressurized. What? Well, let, let me ask you this: How many Muslims do you know? Did you know in your age that were actually studying or interested in journalism? Hardly any and hardly any now. Mm-hmm. People aren't, they know that journalism doesn't pay too good. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, people. So isn't that the issue? I isn't find the issue that, that I find that look, we're not just we're just not encouraging our kids to go down that route. They we're, we're yeah. turning them into medics and accountants and or, or businessmen or whatever. Yeah, yeah. but not well, money is uh, everyone thinks in terms of money, don't they? But I think that. Um, yeah, th- there's just not that many. I mean, Five Pillars, we've always struggled mm. to find um, journalists to join us, good ones. What we find is that we get lots of answers to CVs, but ultimately people, they want their name in lights for one or two articles, or and then they lose the interest. They don't have that. They want to do the boring... Yeah, they don't work. want to do the donkey work, the everyday donkey work, the unglamorous work that we have to do at Five Pillars every single day. You know, that, that's what builds any organization. The, mm. You know, at least 60, 70% of it is probably boring donkey work, you know, admin work, whatever. And only 20, People 30% only of it the is glory stuff. Yeah. There's too many Muslims out there that are not committed, uh, I would say, to Muslim journalism. They say they are, but ultimately when it comes down to it, they won't take the hit in terms of salary mm. and they, they don't sustain the interest for long enough. I, I think that's true about Muslim activism in general because obviously I'm in my late 40s now, uh, Salman. So I've seen, a, you know, I've been involved in Muslim activism since my early 20s. And that the number of people that I knew early 20s that are still around now doing Muslim activism, I can count it on one hand um, because ultimately... It doesn't pay. They get a bit dispirited because sometimes yeah. Muslims don't support our own community. And um, and ultimately, they just get mortgages and they get a nine-to-five job and that's what they focus on. Yeah. And you don't want to go down that route? No. I've, 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 um, I'm never going to be a millionaire. Sure. I've, I've, I know that. And uh, this is my bed and I'm going to lie in it. Mm. Yeah. So in terms of the news culture then. So you said, okay... Islamophobe, the, the major media is Islamophobic, uh, kind of in its nature. Yeah. I don't think many people will disagree with that. But what about the actual underlying logic of journalism? You know, the, that. Because, you know, I was watching the other day, um, I think it was BBC News or Sky News or something, mm. I was just driving and I was listening to it on live stream on uh, YouTube or whatever. And it was, it was so pointless. Mm. Pointless just filling. Yes. Filling time, you know, this whole, this culture of always reporting, uh, tw- you know, 24 wall to wall coverage. They were like, oh, Prince, uh, King Charles, he did this, or, or he, he, he didn't invite so and so to the. Th- to the coronation. Oh, what do you think that means? Just like they, they were... Filling tr- time, yeah. Yeah, it's like people are just tuning in just to get senseless information. I feel that that's one of the underlying or driving logics of of modern news culture, which is just to kind of just inform people to death about It's like infotainment, things. isn't it? Um, yeah. they, they, I think the first editor of The Guardian, I think he was called C.P. Scott, uh, he said that uh, it's entertainment, education, and information, or something like that. That's what we're supposed to be doing it. Um, I think order. I think the twenty-four hour news is on its way out. I think you know after the first Gulf War, CNN rose to prominence, and then we got all used to this twenty-four hour news col- uh, culture. But I actually think the twenty-four hour news channels will be dead in the next few decades mm. because now the social media culture is overtaken. That everyone's getting their their news from mobile phones and from laptops. Not many people watch twenty-four hour news anymore, apart from when it's a big event like the Queen dying 
or um, you know nine eleven, these kind mm. of major events. Then so it you gets kind of just on in offices or whatever or reception. Yeah, it's or, background, but yeah. in terms of, and it has older audiences. Older audiences will still watch it, but younger audiences, I would say, up to the age of forty, mm. um, the majority of them will will watch very little. You know, twenty four hour news, and they'll get all their information mm. from mobile mm. phones. Yeah. yeah. So you think uh, that that kind of what's the what's the change in culture then in, in that well look story? it's always been um news has always been a entertainment business uh we have you know certain there are there are state for all right so there's, there's a state funded organizations like the bbc like al jazeera like press tv like russia today and you know, france 24 so they're funded by by states that's why they have i mean mm. news is a very expensive business to do it properly mm. so it needs huge money and it only can be funded by states or rich media moguls like uh, rupert murdoch so on the one hand, you have the state propaganda channels, and they will ultimately disseminate the worldview of the country they come from. So BBC, British propaganda, um, Al Jazeera, Qatari propaganda, Press TV, Iranian propaganda, etc., etc. Then you have the politically, ideologically driven media moguls like Rupert Murdoch, okay, mm. who owns so many, you know, mm. uh, newspapers and. Um, you know, uh, TV stations in America, Australia, and, and the UK. Uh, even Sky News Arabia is owned by Rupert Murdoch now, I think. Mm. Um, and so he has a, a right-wing worldview, and he disseminates that through his papers. So there's no... There, all media is basically propaganda. Even Five Pillars, it's propaganda. But we're trying to be fair, you know? And I think that's any... any any No, but we're that's not lying, that's what I'm trying to Five say. Five Pillars is propaganda, but we're trying to be of fair. Of course, all media is propaganda. <laughs> it's, it's just the, the sophistication of that propaganda, which is the difference. Mm. And the BBC is very sophisticated propaganda. So they will give maybe 20% or, or, or less than that, 10% of the other side of view. And because and they say, oh, we're fair because we give the ten percent of that yeah. of the other point of view. But they're only giving that ten percent of that point of view, so then they get the ninety percent of the poison in. So you listen to the ninety yeah. percent of the poison. And obviously, when it comes to the, the coverage of the Queen's death, it's literally a hundred percent of one point of view and nothing yeah. uh, from the other side. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to get at. So you know, I mean, so we're Sam Twenty One C. We we do. I think we see as, as a, a media organization. But I would never see us as a journalism or no, news, you're not news proper. No, you're not. No. But that's because we've been wondering, we've been thinking: should we go down that route, or should we? You, you know, do a bit of it, don't you? But not. You're not dedicated. Yeah, to but it. I mean, you're more religious, I would say. Yeah, focused. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I don't really see um, the, 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 the news culture itself, the, the notion of news as it is in yeah. the modern age. I don't really see how. Well, I see it's quite dangerous. The, the, the way it. The 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 the, the way it's packaged, it's packaged no, not just packaged the the, the under, under underlying driving force the logic of we have to inform people about just everything yeah and you say like like you say it's, it's most news is propaganda but some and most people are not watching news anyway they're, yeah. the, they're they're getting entertainment so we have an entertainment culture in this country yeah. and most people would rather watch sports or listen to music than watch news. Mm. So it's a it's a minority audience anyway. But it's it's something which is the the landscape is dominated by what a handful of billionaires like yes. you mentioned. So there must states. be they they're yeah. spending billions and billions of pounds on it. For so influence. It's, it's not yeah, it's, so they're it not making money. None yeah. of them are making money. They're losing money hand over yeah. foot. But what so they're doing they, it for a reason they get something. Is is they can influence government policy, yeah. public attitudes, etc. So it's all about influence really. And yeah. so what you're trying to you're trying to influence from that, from that Muslim Islamic, we're trying to paradigm? educate Muslims um, because obviously Muslims are news consumers just like anyone mm. else. So we want uh, an Islamic 
um, kind of alternative, view the world events, um, not just getting information about them, but how to analyze them, pick them apart and understand them. We want Muslims to view that through mm. an Islamic lens. So we're very focused on news. So we're not a religious organization, um, you know, like uh, you might be a more focused on, mm -hmm. you know, spreading the deen. <clears throat> um, obviously, we want to spread the deen, but but we're doing it through the the kind of vehicle of news. So you're, aren't you trying to change the system from within then? <laughs> to a certain like, extent, yes. But I think yeah. we're, we're in the driving seat with the five pillars. So yeah. if I was working in the BBC, I would not be in the driving seat. I'd have to have a, yeah. somebody above me and somebody above him. And everything I do would be censored. Slow, I won't get to choose my, yeah. the stories that I do. Whereas mm. at least we're in the driving seat. We choose the stories. We mm. listen to the readers. We listen to their feedback. We bounce off the readers. Ultimately, that's what we do. Because, because um, I mean, know, I, I do agree that that journalism. I mean, journalism and free press and all that kind of stuff. It it's very important in the world we live in today because mm. of you know democracy and all that kind of stuff. That you need people informed and be able to you know. Um, um, hold people to account in power and all that kind of stuff. So that's that. I, I understand it within this context. You know, I'm just wondering: is there it, a our aim is actually not to? I would say. I mean, Dilly might disagree with me here. I'm not sure, but but I would say our aim is not to change government policy, or not to even influence the wider non-Muslim culture. Our, we are we are focused on the Muslim community and building the community from within. Because I personally believe that first of all. If we uh, adopt the culture of the, the mainstream too much, yeah. then we're going to dilute our Islamic values. And that's a red line from us. We can't compromise on our deen or political mm. issues like mm. Palestine, for example. And if we, um, if we kowtow too much to the wider non-Muslim culture, yeah. that's what's going to end up happening. So I, I'm a, a great believer in building strong Muslim institutions in this yeah. country yeah. and very strong ones. Like the Jewish community have built strong institutions. And then the wider culture can you know basically adopt some of our narrative yeah. rather than us subsuming their narrative yeah i mean we we uh, i completely agree with that one of our things that we push for global muslim kind of islamic revival and uh, and, and we're part of that you know in, in our in the uk and that is encourage muslims or people who who love the deen people who care about the islam to excel in media yeah in law, everything, in politics, yeah. in in um, econ econ uh, uh, the economy, Economics, yeah. and I think the fifth one was military in Muslim majority lands or something. But <laughs> I think I, uh, I love that caveat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't edit that out, anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although this is about the thing about uh, Islamic reform that we um, and revival. I think with Sheikh Haytham and other. I think we're living around. through. I mean, I th I think Sheikh Yasser Qadi. I listened yeah. to a lecture of him. His about six months ago, I think he mm. said that we're living through the revivalist phase. So we had the colonization experience, yeah. you know, and then after that, when we became independent, we we the Muslim world dabbled with uh, non-Muslim ideologies like communism and you know yeah. secularism. But now we're going through a phase where Islam is not just in the the Muslim world, but Muslims in the West. We're going through an Islam where we're we're re-educating ourselves, we're rediscovering our deen. Um, and who knows? I mean, mm -hmm. only Allah is the best of planners, of course. But you know, maybe we won't be the ones that will see the liberation of uh, Palestine or Al Aqsa or the restoration of the Khilafah. Mm -hmm. But maybe the generations <coughs> after us will, and we're we're kind of um, establishing a path for for that to happen. Yeah, it's really important to, to to give give uh, powerful institutions and role models for Muslims that you can be a practicing Muslim and mm. 
be in these fields and so forth. So, what 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 are some of the challenges that you've faced over the years? I mean, loads. You got you, it's nine years, ten years, nearly nearly ten years now. Yeah. In about six months time. So uh, you yeah, can look so many. Have it like uh, uh, over the last decade, you know what have been. Well, alhamdulillah, um, okay. So I'll go. I'll talk about the Muslim community, then the non-Muslim community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from Muslims, alhamdulillah, we have so much support from Muslims. Um, and they're the ones that keep us going. We are completely funded by readers, donors. I don't know most of the donors that actually give because everyone's giving five you pounds, need to find, pounds. You need to find a nice Muslim billionaire. Yeah, well, <laughs> inshallah. Please, please, just give me a billion pounds and I'll leave you all alone. No, no, it's like, yeah, so most of our, the, the vast majority of our donors, I don't even know who they are. I mean, I know their names, but I don't know personally who they are. They're the ones that sustain us. We will never take any government funding. We will never take any, I don't know, sectarian funding that will say you must support this sect against that, or whatever, you know? So we must remain independent because that's our unique selling point. That's Mm. where our readers trust us. And all the feedback that we get is that we're doing a good job, but we're not big enough. And part of the reason why we're not big enough is still there is this mindset in the Muslim community that they're going to give to humanitarian causes before political causes. That needs to change. I personally give 50-50. So in Ramadan, I'll give 50% to humanitarian causes because that's needed, but it's a sticking plaster because you have to give the the same amount of charity the the next day and the next day. Whereas the longer-term strategic benefits or the political causes, the think tanks, the media, Mm. you know, stuff like that, um, the impact of that might not be felt straight away but it, it is felt over years um, in, in terms of empowering the Muslim community. Mm. So I think Muslims need to change their mindset and give as much to political, longer-term causes than shorter-term humanitarian causes. As far mm. as the non-Muslim community concerned, um, we've, we've been under a lot of pressure from the state, you know, uh, behind the scenes, uh, social media, we've been censored, unlike mm. anybody else, I think, you know, we're not judged by the same yardstick. So the BBC Guardian, they could print a story on the Taliban, for example, and nothing would happen to them. If we get if we print a story on the Taliban, which is saying essentially the same thing as the BBC, mm. we'd get censored. We'd get a strike on Facebook. So we have been systematically... You the T-word. The T-word, yeah, the we'll T-word. mention a lot more of it, inshallah, <laughs> in the future. Yeah, but... Um, Yeah, so we have been systematically targeted on social media platforms um, and our reach has been decimated to a certain extent and then it comes back again, but it's a constant cat and mouse games with with big tech, which are going after um, Muslim news websites and and activists, uh, even non-Muslims that talk about Palestine, that talk about LGBT issues, that talk about these controversial issues in the West. so it's 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 difficult, but at the same time, you know, um, so far we haven't been shut down. Uh, although maybe that's to come. Who knows? Mm. Uh, I do I do feel that generally the trajectory is that Muslim activists in this country are being pressurized more and more. We're going down the route mm. of France. We're perhaps twenty years behind France. I do want to get your views on the future, uh, kind of what you what you see about uh, over the horizon. Mm. But in terms of looking back, though, what what have been some of your your major challenges? So you mentioned, you know, uh, funding and 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 uh, community support and stuff. That's been an, that's always an issue with you yeah. know, um, uh, kind of uh, Muslim civil civil society organisations. I guess. Yes. What other things have you have you struggled with over the years in in, in five pillars? Maybe you know, most of it's positive. Someone I would say eighty yeah. percent of it's positive in terms of we've we've been able to go all around the country. I myself travel all around the country That's on right. a regular basis. I was in Leicester just last week covering the the Hindu Muslim tensions. Yeah. Um, I spend most of my time between London, Manchester, 
West Yorkshire and Birmingham, basically. That's where most of my work is. So the we're going three, there uh, covering the three those centers of Islam. Sorry? <laughs> the three centers of Islam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, those are the major population centers yeah. for Muslims in this country, I guess. Um, and obviously, we did a couple of trips to Afghanistan as well. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll talk about that a bit, yeah, la- yeah. bit later. Um, but yeah, so we're able to choose the stories that we do, mm. which, which Muslims are interested in, the unreported stories, um, you know, opinion pieces we'll carry on our website, mm. videos. And alhamdulillah, you know, most of it is positive. I, I love the work that I do. Mm. I consider myself very lucky to be able to yeah. do this job full time. And I don't even consider it a job, you know, and it's also part of my ibadah. You know, um, I'm a very imperfect uh, Muslim and uh, hopefully this will be, uh, this will count and weigh on my scales Inshallah. on your mm. So, um, yeah, most of it is positive and there are a few frustrations. Sometimes mm. I think, you know, why aren't the Muslim community giving more? But at the same time, they do give, they do give. And we're always mm. humbled by that giving. Sometimes I think, oh, you know, oh, another violation for no reason, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's all part of our jihad and our struggle. And I don't think you can have an easy time of it. You know, the prophets didn't have an easy time. They were all tested. So, you know, we're not test. We haven't been tested, uh, you know, like 1% of that. So yeah. I think that any test is from Allah and we, we will accept it and we'll, we won't complain about it. We won't cry about it yeah. and we'll carry on and I'll be doing this inshallah till the day I die. Inshallah. What, what kind of reaction do you get from the, the Muslim community in terms of, you know, stories that you publish? Overwhelmingly or? positive. You know, yeah. I meet Muslims all the time and it amazes me, you know, Whenever I'm, you know, in in mm-hmm. in the Midlands or in Manchester, people recognize me and they ask about my health and Dilly and they say, "What good job you're doing?" Mm-hmm. and and some complain as well. You know, we do have our haters within the Muslim community. Not, uh, th- I mean, we do have our haters, <laughs> but we do have our detractors as you well. You have like one people that read us. Online, uh, Peop- yeah. Sorry, you have one special troll online. Uh, Many. Yeah, uh, I think uh, what's his name? Jane something. Oh, Jane, um, Jane something. Yeah, I we blocked her ages ago because yeah, we don't tolerate she trolls. Trolling, trolling me for some yeah. reason. I was really, yeah, because she, cause, yeah, I was she really, ex- I was like, I was really kind of proud. I've got my own troll. Jane Grover. Jane Grover. Yeah, and then I realized she yeah. was like, a I actually wrote about her in my book, <laughs> believe it or not, because she was such a troll every day. But eventually, we just got rid of her because um, troll, trolling is not allowed on our social yeah. media pages, and we don't mind criticism. And she, she was a non-Muslim anyway. Probably, yeah. who knows. MI5 or who knows where she was from. Mm. Uh, but um, yeah, I think that... What are some of the criticisms that, I guess, made you reflect? Muslim that, Daily you know Mail. What? We're always called the Muslim Daily mm. Mail by uh, a, a small minority of Muslims that usually it's because... Is that bad? No, it isn't. Um, I mean, editor- if, we're, if we're like the Daily Mail, editorial it would be bad. Yeah. I, I, but look, yeah. the Daily Mail is one of the most successful newspapers in the world. Because it, you look, is that what you're trying no to go point. for? Salman, look, there's no point writing academic, long-winded, boring articles if no one's going to read them. So no. what we try and do is we try and r- write serious articles about serious issues, but in an entertaining way so that... Um, people will read them because we live in an entertainment <laughs> culture. But when yeah. I say entertainment, I don't mean kind of, um, you know, I shouldn't have used that word probably. Uh, yeah. you la- why are you laughing? I'm <laughs> just thinking like, you're like... Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Look, um, I, when I say entertainment, uh, yeah. it's the wrong word, but we're trying to, we're trying to grab people's attention. Yeah. Um, Sensationalist? No, maybe. not at all. But I think, I think what we're trying to do is write a story without exaggerating the truth remaining yeah. faithful to the facts, but ultimately in a way that is readable. 
and presented in a way that is congestible because most, so these most Muslims do not live in ivory yeah. towers. We're just ordinary people. This is the thing I, I was wondering about as well because these conditions, we have this, a similar issue as well. Like, if, even if it's an article about, you know, Ramadan or whatever, or Hajj, you know, there's a way to do it where it's actually present it in a way it's, you know, factually relevant mm. to the thing. But then I realize that nobody's going to. You know, read it if you just give it some boring title. So you have to kind of spice it up a bit. We are trying but to in then, five pillars. We are trying to reach the masses, the, yeah. the, the masses of the Muslims, as many Muslims as possible. We're not trying to reach uh, academics in ivory towers, you know, and they probably won't be interested in us anyway, mm-hmm. you know. But there, there, are, there are some Muslims, usually from organisations which we've exposed for either illegal activity or unethical activity or un-Islamic activity, mm-hmm. who have a bee in the bonnet about five pillars. And they often mobilize their supporters to have to attack us. But these people are a, a small minority. I would say less than 2% of our audience. But sometimes mm-hmm. they can make a big noise. And they call us the Muslim Daily Mail. What about... So you wouldn't mind being a, an Islamic version of the Daily Mail in terms of like a... We want to stay... We want to be as popular as possible and mm-hmm. read by as many people as possible while staying firmly within Islamic red lines. And that's why we have a Shura Council made up of, yeah. I can't mention their names because they're anonymous, but made up of, uh, <laughs> for, I, actually about three, three of them uh, would, wouldn't any, mind any ex- ex- me naming any, uh, them. Any band organisations? Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, these are One of them in of, Afghanistan. These are mainstream Sunni scholars yeah. from this country representing all the major strands of Sunni Islam. And they are all household names within this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and three of them, I think, would not mind me mentioning their names. But because two of them for whatever reason, would prefer to be quiet. I mm. can't mention who they are. Anyway, we have a Shura Council. We go to them for advice. And if they tell us, Roshan, sort it out, this mate. This is haram. Sort it out, mate. <laughs> you, this, is not, this is not right. This is, this is actually crossing Islamic red lines. I wouldn't carry the story. So, for example, um, if, you had a, if you had a news story, mm. some imam done something dodgy or yes. some organisations done. You Depends. Know, if so you would take it to the So let's say, for then, example... Because um, that's where I would think now that it draws a bit close to the line of the, between the Islamic and Muslim thing. Okay. So so some imams, I don't know, some, some imams are, I don't know, abusing kids or something. All right. Now so they, or look, there's an allegation. Now now there's the, the normal kind of uh, normal mainstream media way of doing doing that, you know, just reporting allegation. No, but then there's... We wouldn't there's report a, it. Yeah. We would report it if it went to trial and he was convicted. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference. So there's a difference also between private sins and public sins. So I think we all commit private sins and we all do things that we wouldn't like the world to know about. Every single one of us. And that will probably include some of the major Muslim leaders in this country and abroad. But if it's a private sin, we would not report it. If it's a public sin, then and, and it affects the ummah, the advice that we have from our Shura Council is that it's fine to report it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There was a controversial issue about five or six years ago, before our Shura Council even existed, when the a famous Muslim footballer got done for drunk driving. And we carried that story. And even Dilly and me, I think we had maybe a bit of a disagreement about mm. it. And ultimately, as the editor, I said, we're going to carry this story because he's been convicted by a court. And as soon as he goes by behind that, let's say, for example, if that same footballer had drunk alcohol in his privacy of his own house. So that's a sin. He's committing a sin. We would not have reported. And we knew that that happened for a fact. We would not have reported that because it's a private sin. And in Islam, we don't expose our brothers and our sisters' private sins. But as soon as he got behind the wheel, drunk, and drove a car, it becomes a public sin. 
and especially after he was he was convicted. And I did after the event, I did consult um, one scholar about that, and he said I wouldn't have carried the story myself, but you've done nothing wrong Islamically by covering the story. Mm. I'm eating a biscuit, so I thought you'd speak for longer. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I actually stopped when you started eating the biscuit because I wanted to spoil your biscuit. Yeah, no, I mean, feel I free will as well. To, so yeah, feel you free can talk to. for half an hour yeah. now because I've got a biscuit in the mouth. I'm, I'm doing those one of those uh, tricks when you're sharing a plate of food. Ask the other person, you know. We can have a long, long question. silence. Yeah. Yeah. Just two minute silence. Yeah. yeah, for the Queen. We're already west, dressed in black, so. But, yeah, I mean, I would, I would say that that's an example of, you know, um, cutting it close to the boundaries here. Mm. Of, I mean, I don't want to give the impression that it's like a clear cut boundary. Some things in the Sharia as well, because of the wisdom from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, if, if Allah really hates certain sins, He'll surround them with other sins and surround those in the grey area. Mm. So you won't, you can't just kind of accidentally commit zina, a major sin or something. You have to commit so many other sins on the way to that. Mm. And you have to, you know, um, kind of traverse through gray area even to get to those sins you know can i so you wouldn't have covered that story i mean th so things like the honor of a muslim the d the reputation of a muslim these are like sanctified you know mm. sanctified by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like their blood and their property so there's some things that would be you know gray area but that's the thing with with the the the, the dominant news logic is of course you cover it. it's something public you know whatever. I would not cover a story, Salman, if I knew the vast majority of our readers, and even what even I mean, and there was a consensus and a jama from our Shura Council that this is haram to print. I wouldn't do it because yeah. that would be crossing an Islam. I would be at fault within that. Um, but at the same time, I do think there is a Muslim establishment in this country. Um, that has basically had it their own way for a long time, Ooh. and they're completely unaccountable, you know. And it's an it's an old boys network, juicy. And um, <laughs> no, I, I I sincerely believe this, and uh, without naming names because I won't name names, but it exists, and we all know it. Yeah, exists. don't expose us. No, no, You're, I don't. I'm not talking about you. Um, but you know, they rejected they, my application. They, they, there's a lot of big institutions in this country um, who, for a long time, have done things their own way without any accountability. And within those organizations, a lot of bad things have been happening, especially, I would say, in Islamic charities. Mm. So the exposés that we've done on Islamic charities, it's all coming from the inside, Salman. That's where it's coming whistle, from. It's, you get whistle it's coming and from, stuff. and I would, I would just say this to mm. Islamic organizations in this country that are taking the Ummah's money, and we're taking the Ummah's money as well. It is a huge responsibility, a huge amana, mm. that, that they are trusting us with their hard-earned cash. Okay, so we have to dispense it responsibly. And all I would say, and this is going to sound like a bit like I'm the mafia or something, so I'm going to try <laughs> not to, but, but in all, your, on all, in all the, the major Islamic uh, organizations in this country, we have five pillars readers. And they know that we will be their voice mm. if they can prove that there is wrongdoing within these organizations. Now, if someone comes to me with an allegation, I'll say to them, prove it. I said, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna print tittle tattle and gossip. Prove it. If you can prove it, then I'll run with the story because all these institutions should be accountable. Like I should be accountable. If Five Pillars did something, we should be accountable mm. as well. It's Psalm 21c. So there's a new verb in the Oxford English Dictionary. <laughs> there's a new verb. 
I don't know. Five pillared. Five pillared. You've been yeah. five pillared. <laughs> and we five pillared a lot of um, individuals and organizations in the year, but every single one of them, Salman, deserved it. And it was always mm. with within Islamic red lines. But it, it, I mean, the impression I don't want to give to people is that this is something anyone with a you know Facebook account should be going out and doing themselves. You are you know you you know how to verify stuff. That's we verify. It. We did a story and on a big Muslim charity once. More importantly, you have an Islamic shura kind of body Absolutely. that you go to, because the thing is, people think they look at these exceptions for. The violations of Muslim, because you know it's not set in stone. You can violate someone's life, yeah. property, whatever, and, and, yeah. and if they if certain strict conditions are met and due due process is followed. But the point is that due process has to be followed, and Absolutely. it has to be followed with people who know what they're doing, people with authority, yeah, yeah, Islamic authority, which you're getting from, you know, Ashura Council, because the disaster is if any Tom, Dick, and Harry starts doing this, and because you know social media, everything democratized, everyone has mm. a voice. They could start kind of taking out people and individuals uh, and, and, and organizations. Absolutely, really we'd verify everything. And I know that, you know, if we didn't, we'd get sued. So let's say, for example, I think a couple of years ago, we did a, a big investigation on a Muslim charity. Uh, it took us three months of investigation before we printed an article. So it's a rigorous check because mm. I don't want to get sued as well. I don't want to be, you know, hung, drawn and quartered in, in the, um, in, with Muslim public opinion either, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to transgress any Islamic red lines. So anything that you see, which is like an expose, which is a five-pillared mm. thing, um, <laughs> due process will be followed. Yeah, alhamdulillah. So don't five-pillar anyone with yourself. Yeah. Leave it to the experts. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about, obviously, your trips to Afghanistan. You've been twice now? I've been twice. I spent twice. Um, a month there in November last year and two and a half weeks in March this year. So I think I think that represented a good um, stage of progress, a slow, gradual progress for us as a community that we have Islamic, Muslim, journalists, whatever you want to call it, going out and putting our own voice, putting their own voice without government propaganda, without billionaire propaganda. Uh, and, it, you know, mashallah, it's good. And we want you to do more and more of that stuff. What did you learn in those in those trips? Well, I learned that the Western narrative is a lot of rubbish and almost everything that was being said, um, I found the opposite. Not 100%. Of course, there's elements of truth in the Western narrative. Um, but okay, so there is peace and security how in would you How would you summarize the Western narrative? The Taliban are monsters. Um, they are oppressing women. Um, and we're going back to the medieval world and they are the enemies of... Everything the modern world stands for. Mm -hmm. That is basically the Western narrative. The truth is that there is peace and security in Afghanistan for the first time in maybe 40 years, apart from the, the first Taliban period in the 90s, which lasts for about five years. Um, and peace and security is ultimately the number one duty of any nation state towards its people. The end of the occupation, the foreign, brutal, corrupt occupation is over. No country wants to be occupied by a foreign power. Afghanistan was occupied by several foreign powers for 20 years, um, and now, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen, that is over. Mm. We have a government in power now that is making perhaps the most sincere, in my opinion, perhaps the most insincerest attempt to implement Islamic law that has been seen in the Sunni world 
since I can remember. Hmm. And we'll get on to the pros and cons of the Taliban later. But that's why I would say. So these are the positives. The negatives are that the country is in tatters economically because of sanctions, because the West has frozen billions of pounds mm. of Afghan money. They've stolen it literally. And because nobody recognizes the country, so trade is very difficult. So economically, the country is in tatters. There's widespread poverty and there is starvation mm. in pockets. Um, it's an unequal society. Not all, not all, not everyone supports the Taliban in the country and the Islamic Emirate because it's a mixed society. Um, I would say they are the most popular single group in the country and they would win elections if there was nationwide elections. Mm. I, I, I'm convinced of that. But they are deeply unpopular in certain areas as well. And you have things Why like... Why is that? Why are they unpopular? Well, some Afghans are secular. Some are atheist, unfortunately. Um, some um, are very westernized. Some are, are Shia are any, and they don't like Are there Sunni. any normal Muslims that are anti taliban Yes, there are, I know religious Muslims that, um, that support the Taliban, um, the or they anti- might be even anti-Taliban yeah. to a certain extent, because they believe they're, they kind of believe that with the Taliban in power, there's no future for Afghanistan because of the economic situation. There are other Muslims, uh, Salafi, some Salafis aren't very happy with the Taliban mm-hmm. because they feel as though they're cracking down on Salafism. Um, especially in areas like Jalalabad and Nangaha province near Pakistan. And they feel that the Taliban are killing Salafis while saying they're killing Daesh, ISIS. Mm. Uh, Now, I can't comment whether that's true or not. I personally don't believe it's true, but uh, I've heard that quite a lot. Um, And there are a lot of supporters of the Islamic Emirate who are very upset at the Islamic Emirate for not educating secondary school girls. Mm. What's your view on that? I think they should. I've, all right, I've got a, a nuanced view. My personal view is that um, Islamically they're wrong in not doing that. I think all girls should be educated. Mm. And I think that is the majority view in um, the Muslim world. Are they against However, educating them or against sending them right, to listen, school so for education? What, say that again for someone. Are they against education or school? Uh, no, I, school I education, know. public education. So it's, it's fine for them to be educated at home. Okay, so what, the, the situation so I'm a, in Afghanistan. I'm a, I'm a homeschooler, so we're, we're kind of. Uh, <laughs> so you're right. We're, <laughs> we're, no. we're, we're kind of sensitive to the distinction between education yeah. and school. So, some of the situation is that primary school girls are going to school in Afghanistan, all yeah. across the country. University girls and women are yeah. getting their education. Secondary school girls are not. Now, some provinces are basically just disobeying the central mm-hmm. government's diktats and they are educating secondary school girls. Private schools are educating secondary school girls. But the vast majority, I would say millions and millions of Afghan girls from the age of something like 11 to 18, whatever, are not being educated. Now, I, my personal, um, you know, obviously I'm not an Islamic scholar, but for, as far as I understand, that would be against the majority consensus, you know, the majority opinion of, of mm-hmm. Muslim scholars all over the world. However, their orf, it's different. their norms, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's their local culture. If you go mm. to Kandahar like I did, you kind of understand why this is not happening. Because this is their local culture. Is You hardly see women on the street or girls on the street. And they have things like, oh no, we have to change the curriculum because there are certain aspects of the curriculum we believe are detrimental to female education. We don't want boys and girls on the streets at the same time mixing, coming home together. That is their local culture. And it's the same in northern, basically southern Afghanistan and northern Pakistan mm-hmm. are the same place. You know, mm-hmm. Pashto, you know, Pashto language and Pashto mm-hmm. culture, Pashtun. Pash, Pashtun um, Wali, I think, is the, is the Pashtun Wali the, the local code? I have um, no idea. Yeah. 
So, so the, obviously we know that in Islamic law, there is scope for cultural understandings as yeah. well to be implemented. <clears throat> we call it urf, don't we? And their urf is that you don't educate girls in schools. Mm. And, um, I, and I personally think the Taliban are split over that issue. There are more modern elements that would like to see it happen. But ultimately, the ones calling in the shot are, um, you know, uh, Sheikh um, Hibatullah, the leader in Kandahar, and others. And they feel like, why would we do this when it's not our culture? And we don't believe in mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And are we going to do it just, just to please the West? And they don't want to be seen to be pleasing the West. They said, we, we've, we've tried to be nice to the West for a year. All they've done is sanction us, steal our money, and blockade us, and destroy us economically. So we're not going to give them any concessions. And we don't want to do this particularly. <coughs> mm. However, it is deeply unpopular, even amongst Taliban supporters. I did not meet one religious, mainstream Muslim in that, in that country who supported the Islamic Emirate, who agreed with that policy. They all basically disagreed with it. So it's, it's deeply unpopular mm. amongst supporters of the Islamic Emirate also. Did you feel safe when you were there? 100% safe. Safer than in London. There are parts of London <laughs> I definitely wouldn't go at uh, 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, and um, Afghanistan, I would go anywhere. Really? How, yes. how many? I mean, did you see? Uh, someone could argue, wait, maybe you were given a sanitized kind of government-sponsored tour of... No, I didn't have any. I, had my, I was not uh, given any government minders or anything like that. I was mm. just with my translator, who's a friend from London. And um, we went anywhere and everywhere. Uh, I mean, there are some... I mean, there's no night culture in Kabul or Afghanistan anyway, because people get up early, and when it gets dark, they yeah. go home, spend time with their families, watch TV series, and have food. And there's no night culture there anyway, so everyone goes to bed quite early. Um, <coughs> yeah, so mm. I, f I, was, I felt completely safe everywhere I went, and I would go anywhere in Afghanistan. Any plans to go back? I would love to go back at least once a year, yeah, for a decent period of time. Yeah. I loved it, beautiful country. Beautiful people. Um, what's, and what's the future for Afghanistan? Do you think, in your opinion? I think that um, it's so. It's been it's a year that since the last troops left, um, and like you mentioned, the economy's in tatters, um, sanctions, stolen wealth, foreign currency reserves. Um, they've tried. I've, I've read to to make something of their country. You know, repurposing poppy fields for strawberries and whatnot. But, I mean, is that enough for them to actually build a successful uh, nation, do you think? Huge question marks. I mean, I think that we could be sitting here in five years' time and the Islamic Emirate is over, simply because of economic reasons and the population have uprised against them because they can't feed them. You know, so that is a distinct possibility. I think that would be a huge shame, a mm. huge backward step for the Ummah. And that's why I think that um, we should be a little bit understanding of their foreign policy decisions because the Islamic Emirate for example they've literally got no option at the moment but to make friends with China and Russia mm -hmm. and people will say oh but they're the Islamic Emirate why aren't they criticizing uh, China over the Uyghur issue we should be understanding and patient because they have no choice you know it's literally life or death situation mm -hmm. in that country mm -hmm. so they have no choice we have a choice they have no choice mm. Um, at the same time, I think the Ummah, the wider Ummah, has a big responsibility. We've seen any attempt at an Islamic state squashed by the West, because the West will not accept 
an Islamic state sprouting up anywhere in the world. They see that as a threat, a threat to their, you know, um, hegemonic narrative. And I think it's up to the ummah, the wider ummah, to help Afghanistan stand on its own two feet. I think British Muslims should go there and invest in the country, you know. And if they have good intentions, go there. Go there to do some tourism. It's perfectly safe. Go there to <coughs> invest in businesses to help the local people. At the moment, people just aren't doing to, that. Just to confirm, you said tourism, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Not terrorism. No, no, yeah, tourism, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful country and it's mm. some amazing, you know, historical Is that possible? I mean, is it maybe, maybe you can... It's absolutely Maybe possible. you can give a, a plea now to any tra travel agents to create some kind of, you know... You uh, can Afghanistan you can get uh, a visa. For you can get a visa from I think the London embassy. I got mine from Doha and Dubai, but I think the London embassy, the London consulate rather, is issuing visas now. The only people really are going are aid workers. So I know lots of aid British aid mm -hmm. workers are going. I is myself it safe to go. It's absolutely safe. No problem. So the, it's safe for over there. Yeah, because it's safe and whatever. You know, no more, no more foreign wars and uh, occupations and stuff. But is it safe? Safe, i.e. If someone goes out there, could they... Oh, Schedule 7 or something like that. Citizenship being revoked or something oh, like that. Oh, not at the moment. The, the, I mean, it's not... Because remember Syria, you know, I mean, it, yes. our government policy changed overnight pretty much and what was completely fine yesterday now became criminal. At the moment it isn't because yeah. it's not a war zone. It's a safe country and there's no war going on. The war's over. Uh, and the British government is talking directly to the Taliban, mm. you know, openly. I didn't, uh, know, they that's not the case with I didn't know they had a consulate in London. They do. At the moment, it's it's fine actually to go. stuffed by Taliban. I mean, I would say I would say it, it isn't actually. Okay. But um, what I, what I would say is, if you have good intentions. Now we know that some British Muslims or Muslims anywhere may go to Afghanistan with bad intentions, and I think the Taliban are wise <laughs> to that as well. I think Brit some British lads are kind of. Uh uh, <laughs> we know there's bad apples in every community. We know that. <laughs> Not very popular. If you have good intentions, if you generally. love Islam, yeah. if you want to see Afghanistan succeed, yeah. okay, if you want to benefit the local people, then I would actually encourage people to go there for a holiday. Yes, yeah. for a holiday. And at the moment, when I got back, when I when I came back, I wasn't Schedule Seven. Uh, I haven't come across anyone who's been Schedule Seven so did, far. Did they tell you not to say that? Who? Oh, the the uh, the MI5 or whatever. No, no. I mean, so I've got don't an tell anyone on me 24 about hours. I don't need to be stopped at the airport because I've got someone on me 24-7 yeah. anyway. But yeah, no, it's... Um, yeah, so at the moment, I mean, things could change. You're right. Yeah. But at the moment, I think it's fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was, I was uh, speaking uh, to your former colleague or current colleague, Rob Carter. Yes, yes. The other day, and he was telling me about um, just the... the, the, the a bleak future he sees for journalism full stop in the UK. Yes. With with what you know, Russia, Ukraine and you know the British government just shutting down uh, RT, okay. yeah, overnight and he's you know he was saying um British government was very uh one of the the most extreme in its in its shutdown or crackdown rather of journalists that yeah. you know that published stuff that they disagree They've shut down RT, they've shut down yeah. Press TV, they've censored many pro-Palestinian outlets, including Five Pillars. Mm -hmm. The the censorship is very worrying. Look, do you think the government itself has censored you? Yes. Uh, you I think I think behind the scenes, uh, I know for a fact behind the scenes, there have been uh, discussions within government because we've been leaked this information. Five Pillars has been mentioned. Uh, Cage has been mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, those two in particular. Uh, and others as well, probably, but I'm not 100% sure. Look, Salman, this is the context. Uh, let's look at the big picture. The big picture is the West is in decline. 
I'm convinced this is happening. The West is in decline, not just politically and economically and militarily, morally. First of all, morally. So Britain was great um, for many years, the British Empire, but it was underpinned by quite conservative values, Victorian values back home, family values. They had similar values to us. They've lost that in the last 40 years with the rise of the LGBT culture, the uh, breakdown of the family. You break down the family, you break down the building block of society. The West is in huge decline. And that is why they're lashing out. Because they know very well that um, within with the rise of China especially, they're not going to be top dog in 50 years. They are defending their values now like they never did in the past because they never used to crow about British values or Western values because it was they were top dog. They didn't need to. Uh, mm. that, that was prevalent all over the world. But now you'll notice that Liz Truss and others, they're talking constantly about Western values of freedom and democracy. And they're saying it because they know it's in decline and they see Islam as a threat, you know? So what's happened... Sorry, I'm going on about here, but I, I want to mm -hmm. say this. What's happened in this country is Muslims were brought over after the Second World War to do the menial jobs to build the country after the Second World War. And we were allowed, by and large, to practice our religion privately mm -hmm. because the British are a bit more tolerant than the French. They don't mind people, you know, practicing their religion in private. Over the, the decades, British Muslims have become more confident. They're not taking racism anymore. They're not taking Islamophobia anymore. They believe they have the same rights as a white Britain, a black Britain, whatever, as, as the majority culture. Mm -hmm. And they won't accept anything else. However, what we're getting now is loads of non-Muslims are, are converted to Islam or being convinced by our ideology. And we're growing in this country. Our presence is growing in this country. Mm. And the majority culture is seeing that as a threat. And that's why they are cracking down on us. And you and me will be first. You know, People like you and me, Muslim activists, we will be the first to have our bank accounts closed, to have our social media accounts, to be silenced. Okay, so we're going to be faced with a choice in this country. We're about 20 years behind, behind France, where they're literally shutting down Muslim organizations mm. for no reason. That, I am convinced, will happen in this country in about 20 years' time. And who knows? Maybe we're 50 years behind China, where they're literally putting people in re-education camps. Mm. Now, that might be considered alarmist. I personally believe <laughs> that we are on that trajectory, unless something happens. Because we have two things happening. We have the West declining, and we have Islam reviving. So that looks like a clash. Mm. So even if you're a peace, like you and me, we're peaceful Muslim activists. All we, all we seek to do is persuade people through the power of argument and the power of example. That will soon not be tolerated. Mm. Either you choose... I mean, it's already been subject to this whole discourse of extremism. Exactly. That's literally, it's called non-violent extremism. And they're not so. going after people with guns who want to kill people. They're going mm -hmm. after peaceful people who are just expressing an opinion and a worldview and perhaps disagreeing with the foreign policy or the or, or the narratives of the it's country. A, it's a that will not be allowed. Mm. If the current tra trajectory continues its course, that will not be allowed in, in the decades to come. It's a compelling uh, theory, but I feel sometimes we're, we're, look, we're reading the, the Muslim angle into this more because we're Muslims. Mm. I find that amongst the Western kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, the... the, 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 the the, the tension that that that's you know the, the or, or, or the 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 crisis maybe or, or I don't want to say civil war or anything like that is brimming with beneath the surface seems to be more um, amongst non-muslims like 
right wing left wing kind Absolutely. of Absolutely. They're becoming more uh, ra- they're becoming radicalized, more right. They're becoming more kind of polarized themselves. And I think and if some people argue that Muslims actually Muslims and, and kind of right wing traditionalist kind of um, ideology um they share more in common and kind of I'm always against Muslim wandering into debate uh, arguments amongst rival non-Muslims and picking sides and stuff. I think we should always keep a uh, um a healthy distance uh, ideologically and and kind of discourse-wise uh, from you know debates among left wing versus right wing mm. or liberal versus conservative or whatever. But I, I do feel that they're kind of just going to destroy each other. Oh, the left and, and right. Yeah. Well, I think that the I right. Think are they, they're the more they're more kind of worried about each other. You know, with the whole kind of rise of. Trump, Steve Bannon, kind of ideology. I think a lot they, of Muslims. They're even making their own platforms, you know, like uh, because Facebook's banning them as well, um, and that kind of stuff. So. I think a lot of Muslims after 9 11, and especially the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, they allied with left the left wing. Mm. Um, and there are non Muslims out there we can work with, 100%. However, I think that there are a lot of Muslims now. That have come out of that activism era where they work very closely with the left in this country, that have imbibed the values of the left to an extent mm-hmm. that is diluted <coughs> their deen. And with the, we see that with Zara Sultana MP, for example. Uh, and I say I mention her name because she's in the public sphere, uh, but many others as well. And and that they're they're willing to trample over basically Islamic red lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to avoid that as a community. That's one thing we can't compromise, you know. Whatever happens, yeah. even if we lose all our money, our bank accounts, our houses, our cars, our, our, um, our quality of life, yeah. we cannot compromise on our deen one iota, no matter what happens. No, I'm, yeah, I'm talking about the... So you said the West is in moral decline. Or it is. It's in decline. I think it's... M- the, left, the, 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 the left have destroyed their moral yeah. values. Because what I was saying to you before mm. is the West still had conservative values when they were a great empire. But over the last 40 years, that has been eroded, and that will eventually destroy the West itself. So I'm not a crystal yeah. ball reader or whatever, but I would say that the West, probably as top dog in the world, may only have um, 50 to 100 years left. So what's your view then on um, the future? So I'll put it bluntly. Do you feel five pillars could be RT'd? Yes. Yeah. And I think Islam 21 secret as well. Yeah. And I think others will. Yeah, I think outspoken, confident British Muslims will be targeted. Um, and I think that's a, a real possibility. And I think we're naive in this country. Mm. If we think we can just live out the rest of our lives in comfort in this country while being outspoken, confident Muslim activists, I think we're living in cloud cuckoo land. <laughs> but I am going to still do that. I'm going to still keep speaking out whatever happens. And I, I think I think well. there's I think there's. I, I take a more kind of optimistic view because I, fi- I see I see where you're coming from, the trajectory, but that um, the era that you're looking back at mm. is very different to the, the, the Muslims I see today, the younger Muslims that are... That's true. They are, f- they are fighting back more. Yeah. They are getting more... And they're embedding into various uh, echelons of society where eventually, like it or not, people are, most people are going to know a Muslim... And have a Muslim colleague eventually, and I think I really do think our community is a sleeping giant, because I think if all things were equal, Salman, mm. and um, the state just allowed things to take its natural course, then I think 
you're right. I think Islam would spread amongst non-Muslims in this country because we would we would convince people through the power mm. of our argument. And I but think I don't. I think I think there will be intervention to prevent that happening. Don't you think? But Russia, I hope I'm wrong. Don't you I think hope you're right. Don't you think Putin yeah. and Russia and that's provided a bit of a um, a distraction, maybe that you know they they're like, oh crap, there's an actually a war happening now. Mm. So let's stop. Or let's put, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Uh, perhaps, but I think it's maybe temporary. But I don't know. I'm not sure. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of Muslims were kind of not too upset that that war happened because they felt that, you know, let's keep these power blocks busy with each other and that takes yeah. the heat off us. I understand the power of that argument. And ultimately, Allah is the best of planners. So everything that I, I say mm. is just mm. political analysis. And I actually hope that I'm 100% wrong <laughs> um, because, because that would mean that there's a, there's a future for Islam in this country. Yeah, you know? yeah. Okay, Zakhlah I mean, uh, run out of tea, so and yeah. getting the tea signs from our producer there. So Zakhlah Khair for uh, joining us today. Zakhlah uh, thank, thank you at home as well for watching and tuning in. What do you think? Is uh, are we headed uh, this way or are we headed that way? Let us know in the comments. Uh, I know uh, Roshan hopes that he's wrong and and uh, we are heading for a good uh, you know future here in the United Kingdom and and, and Western countries. But let's see hear your. Uh, views and your opinions as well uh, in the comments just uh, a reminder if you like this podcast give it a like and a share and and uh, hit the bell notification button uh, to be notified for any future podcasts that's it for now i've been your host Saman Bhatt, and this has been the islam trinity unscripted podcast until next time assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh <laughs>